0: Song of Solomon. Start right there. Uh, chapter four. I find it really an um, it's an encouraging book. and I think it's one that I should go through often because it does, especially here in these few sections, really gets practical. I, I think, and, um, and again, this is. One interpretation out of many, um, and, then, and again, uh, so take it with that, and so uh, I would challenge you to read it and, and for yourself and see how you make it make sense, and so, uh, but this is the way that at least I see it. And so just as a quick review, uh, you have Solomon, you have the shepherd, you have the Shulamite, you have the harem, are also called the daughters of Jerusalem. Uh, she's been taken, uh, Solomon's trying to win her to be one of his next brides. Uh, but she loves the shepherd, and the shepherd says he's going to come back for her and get her, and so she is waiting for him. Uh, we're going to be chapter four, uh, chapter three. Um, she is making a a fuss, you know, about it, and, uh, and and keeps fussing over her shepherd. Solomon decides to put on a show for her so that uh, she could see, you know, who he is, and he wants to impress her. So he shows his wealth, he shows his importance, he shows his power, he has these 60 men of, that are skilled in war, it says, carry his uh, beard into this, this little uh, platform-like thing in, and again, how it's all decorated, and how he's all decorated, and it, it, it ends in chapter, uh, three, or chapter 3, verse 11, that he's got his wedding crown on, he's got his uh, crown of engagements, his espousals, and so he's been married 140 times, he's looking for 141. And so he's putting on uh, this air. He's come ready for love. And so, uh, chapter four, uh, verse one. And I think this is uh, Solomon talking again. Like I said, he's pulled up his ride. You know, he's squealed it, and he's he's making his big entrance here. And he has wedding on his mind—a wedding. He's ready for for a wedding, and uh, and so he, he's come to his harem that's full of the virgins in waiting uh, to see who he might marry next. And so, um, I think that that's where we are here and uh, I think he's got a foreman on the inside saying that oh she talks about her shepherd Uh, she likes it when he 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 describes her in in natural things you know he doesn't like all the flashy stuff she's a simple girl and so I I think after that first encounter you know that uh, he saw her and she was a little rough he made some suggestions uh, that he would like to see you know with some jewelry and some things he compliments her cheeks he he makes some suggestions about oh you know I think she'd look good with some a Rose of Jewel, uh, chapter 1, verse 10. You know, her neck, you know, she may put some chains of gold on. Uh, and So he, he talks about that, verse 11 of chapter 1. Uh, the harem says, we will make thee uh, borders of gold with studs of silver. Oh, we'll take care of it. We'll decorate her. We'll get it all ready. And so she's kind of coming, he's kind of coming to see how she's coming along. Um, and so he, he starts up, um, verse 1 of chapter 4. Behold, thou art fair, my love. Behold, thou art fair, thou hast dove's eyes within thy locks. That hair is a uh, as a flock of goats that appear on Mount Gilead, and so he uses some natural things, and so he uh, complimentary you know the the shepherd when she refers to him back in chapter one verse fifteen. He talked about her eyes being like dove eyes, and so I think Solomon kind of picks up on that, and so um, he's right there, you know, talking about her, talking about her hair, you know, it's like these flock of goats that must be something beautiful uh, <laughs> and they appear on the side of Mount Gilead, um, and so he's. Uh, He's leading with the lines that he was fed, I think. But then he quickly turns back to his old ways. Um, Verse um, 2. Thy teeth are as a flock of sheep even shorn, which came up from washing, whereof every one bare twins, and none is barren among them. Uh, He says, Boy, I noticed your hair. I noticed your eyes. I noticed your teeth here. And he goes, Hey, you've got all your teeth. They're good. You know, that's good. You know, they're, they're even shorn. You got nice, even teeth. You don't have any uh, ones that are different. Um, they're clean. I'm glad you brushed your teeth. You know, they come up from washing. Everyone bears twins. and They're not missing any. You got equal teeth on equal side. They're all even there. And so he's looking at her teeth and, 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 and says that those all look nice. Verse 3. Thy lips are like the thread of scarlet. Thy speech is comely. Thy temples are like a piece of pomegranate within thy locks. So, um, she's got... Thin little red lips, you know, like lip, red lips like scarlet. Um, she talks pretty. He says her speech is comely. You know, oh, you have, I like the way you sound. You know, maybe it's her southern drawl or whatever she's got. And he says he likes that. He, he finds that interesting. Her temples are uh, pomegranate. I think she's beginning to blush. You know, she's turning red. If you've ever opened a pomegranate, it's all red and all the juice in there. And so she's oh, getting getting flushed by it a little bit. You know, it's a rich, powerful guy. He just put on this big show. Uh, he's complimenting her. Everyone loves a compliment And so it begins to kind of wear on her a little bit. You know, she's blushing a little bit. Oh, he he notices me. You know, they decorated me. They've cleaned me all up. You know, I'm not this wild country girl anymore. Uh, They've decorated her. They've got her clean. You know, she's been there a little while. She's acclimated to the situation. So now he begins to compliment her, and she begins to cave just a little bit, maybe. So couples, that becomes our warning. Never take your spouse for granted. Um, How many marriages have been broken up because... It's been quiet at home, and somebody out in public says, oh, you look nice today, or your hair looks pretty, or that's a nice jacket, and you look good in that color, and next thing you know, know, it just opens a doorway. Let it be no big thing, like, oh, my husband always tells me that, or my wife always appreciates how I look, you know, so I would say compliment them, let them know, know, so that they know that they are appreciated, that they know what they have, that they don't see it as anything. It's like, I get that at home. I don't need to get that anywhere. Don't make them starve for it. Pursue each other until the grave. That's what we're supposed to do. We're to be pursuing each other as he pursues us till we get there. Pursue each other. Date each other. You know, seek after each other in that way. Don't take each other for granted. Notice things about each other. Compliment one another. And it makes it nice. Um, you know, she's away and, she, and, and she's being flattered and it makes her weak. You know, we want to make sure that we don't have that. Um, same thing as husbands, not, not husbands, but as far as fathers. Compliment your daughters. Tell them who they are and how pretty they are and what they mean to you so that some boy doesn't come along and steal her away. I'm not just saying that not to get married. My daughter is married. You know, he's sitting right there. <laughs> but, but that it's right. you know. That it's not like, oh, I've never heard this before. And she gives in too quickly, too soon to the wrong guy because she's never heard that. That's why we're to compliment our daughters. We're to show them who she is, the worth she has, the beauty she has, so that she knows she has something valuable and worth protecting and not to just give it away. You know. So that's where as fathers we're to do that. Uh, for our daughters, uh, to build them up, to guard and protect them in that because they know that they are special because we've told them so. And so uh, I think that's good for us and the same for you know, all of our children, you know, to build them up in that way, to guard and protect them from the, the wiles of the world because there's been too many girls that I've known that said they had standards, said they were going to stand for something, and the first boy it came around and complimented them how first they gave away something that was very precious. You know, and so don't you know guard that, safeguard that by telling them how beautiful and how special they are, so that it, you know some little boy doesn't come along and just steal it. Um, verse four continues on. It says, "Thy neck is like the tower of David. Um, the tower of David, built uh, for an armory, whereupon there hang a thousand bucklers and all shields of mighty men." So maybe she has uh, this. It says, it's "Like a tower, she must have a long neck." You know. Uh, um, uh, again in, in chapter 1 verse 11 he said he wanted some silver and gold on it and the harem said we would do that so they must have decorated some put some jewelry on her and, and so Solomon looks at that and he says oh you know I see that, uh, you, know, that you have this armory where he um, and, and again David's armory he had these bucklers all these shields if you can read about it when he got it ready for the temple the, all these uh, metal things hanging there he's like oh you've got all this jewelry on you look really nice and so he compares her to David there these shields that were hanging like David's mighty men and so the you know, he notices that, and Solomon started at the eyes, and he went to the hair, went to her lips, and talked about her lips. Now he's gone to her neck, and he continues downward. Verse uh, five: Thy two breasts are like two young roses that are twins, which feed among the lilies. And so uh, Solomon um, was gaining ground, but I think he might cross a line here that sets her defenses up. He's gone too far, too fast. Um, I think she remembers her resolve, like, hey, wait a minute, you know, like, the compliments were starting to work, you know, but uh, now she begins to think, wait a minute, what was, I have promises to someone else, chapter 2, verse 16, 17, my beloved is mine and I am his. It feedeth among the lilies until the day break and the shadows flee away. Turn, my beloved, and be thou like a roe, a young heart upon the mountains of Bethir. Come quickly. I am his and he is mine, just as we sang. I am his and he is mine. We have betrothed one to another. I'm not going to compromise. I'm promised to someone else. I don't care how much you compliment me. And so she, I think, she's crossed the line here and she begins to remember, wait a minute. I am with someone else. You know, I don't need to be flattered by you. I have what I have in my shepherd. And so I think that's what verse 6 is. I think it's her resolve uh, as, she's, as she's been tempted and she thinks ahead to what they're going to have together. Until the day break and the shadows flee away, I will get me to the mountain of Myrrh and to the hill of frankincense. I think she's thinking, what would my shepherd tell me? He is here complimenting this one, but what would my shepherd say? And he would say, we would get away. It would be you and me. Uh, a matter of fact, he even goes on, verse 7. Thou art, or thou art all fair, my love. There is no spot in thee, he would say. I know that you are pure. I know that you are lovely. I, you're altogether beautiful in that way. He, he knows who she is. And he was saying, I know that you will stand. I know you will not compromise. I know that you've made this promise to me. And I know you will not falter. You'll be spotless. You are pure. That's what he wants from us, is his bride. Uh, hold here and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. because the church is the uh, the bride of Christ that's the normal window I'll take one exception here coming up but um Ephesians 5 verse 26 Ephesians 5:26 says he might sanctify and he's talking about the he's talking about the the, the church being his bride and he compares it to husband and wives in verse 25 He's talking about the church here, verse 26, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water of the word. That's how we cleanse ourselves. We read his word, and that's how we purify ourselves. We judge ourselves. We get made righteous by reading his word. Verse 27, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that should be holy and without blemish. That's how he wants us presented, a chaste church. A church that is faithful to Him. A church that is loyal to Him. A church that has not strayed and gone away. One that has remained true unto Him. That has not compromised. In Revelation to the letter of the seven churches, there's a couple that compromised and brought in false doctrines here and there. Or maybe brought in... We've not done that. He wants us to be wrinkle-free, a... Spotless church in that way, that we would be clean, that we would be without blemish, that we would judge ourselves, and what we would mold ourselves into his image, that we would not cave in easily, that we would take a stand against the world when the world's trying to woo us away, that we'd say, Wait a minute. I I am I am Christ. He has chosen me, He's pulled me out, He's promised to take me away. No, I make a stand for this. I will not compromise, I will not give in, I will stand and I will not fall. And so he's helping us by making us those promises. I have a place prepared for you. I have doubtly come again for you. Stand and wait for me and, and, and we will be together one day. Uh, look at 2 Peter. That I might not send me. Again, that, yeah, that's why we go over the promises. That's why we read God's word so that we're able to stand in the time of temptation. Uh, 2 Peter. Um, 2 Peter chapter 3. Uh, 2 Peter 3, we'll start verse 11. says, seeing that all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? You know, what would we sell out for now? Will we sell our birthright for a pot of stew? You know, are we going to stand for things that are going to matter? Stand, matter, stand for things that will uh, last forever. Uh, verse 12, looking for that hastening and into the coming of the day of, of uh, God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved with the elements and shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you may be found in him, uh, found of him in peace, without spot and blameless. He's like, all oh, this is going to be judged, all this is going to be burned, all this will be taken away. Be found pure, be, be found without spot and blameless. That you stand for him, that we don't compromise, that we don't give in, uh, that he can find us a pure church when he comes. Let's look at one more in Revelation 19. Revelation chapter 19. Um, I I think at this point, um, without looking at all the verses, I'll just reference them. Uh, In Revelation 19, I think that the the rapture of the church is a pre trib rapture. I think that we are um, any moment, any time, we'll be taken out of here. We'll go together to be with him. He takes the bride of Christ away. The uh, the bride would be full, and he takes us. That'll be the full harvest. We go up to heaven to be with him. And I think that we are then at the beam of seat judgment. We'll go before him and he will judge our works, not our salvation. We are there. We are saved uh, by faith through Jesus Christ. That foundation he has laid, no one else can lay it. It's the things we did. You know, it's the beam of seat is the rewards for running the race. It's the prizes at the end. It's not whether you're in the Olympics. It's that you won the Olympics, those prizes. And so we get judged by that. That's First Corinthians 3 and those things. That's the wood, hay, stubble, gold, silver, precious things that are tried by fire. And so we go through that and that purges all of our sin where we failed him, where we disobedient maybe we did it for pride and we did it for vainglory the wood hay stubble we did it for other people to see and and he judges it to the point where it gets all burned down to where what is truly left and then that is our reward and he rewards us whether you know whatever it may be some it says suffer loss. they don't lose sal- salvation uh, but they lose any reward that they might have any standing that they might have as far as in, in service throughout the millennial reign and further and serving the king uh, but we are judged in that way. You know, it's not. It's, we're sad in that we didn't do something for him um, if, we, if we lose it. But we have crowns to cast these feet if we have it the other way. So we get to the end of that. So we've been purged. We've been purified. Everything's been tested and tried. And then right at the end, before he comes down for his honeymoon, in a sense, before he comes down to set up his house on the new heavens and the new earth for that thousand-year reign, there's the marriage ceremony. That's what's in Revelation 19. And so we've gone through that judgment, we've been purged, we've been purified, we've already had our sins forgiven through Jesus Christ, now it's our righteous acts that have been um, crystallized. Uh, we sang this morning uh, that it was burned like dross, you know, made, made it better. And, and so that's where we are. So Revelation 19, verse 7, says, Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to Him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and His wife has made herself ready, because we've been through that judgment, because we've had that time during the seven-year tribulation that He's um, we've had the bema seat, verse eight. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. See, it's the rewards. It's the works that that we did since we had salvation that are we are decorated with now. For. Um, you know, because you loved his appearing, there's a crown for that. Because you were faithful with the talents that he's given you, he, he gives you something to wear for that. And so we are clothed in that righteousness, not a right, you know, our salvation is his righteousness. This is the, the, the other things, the fine linen here and that. And so we are without spot. We've been purged and we've been made ourselves ready. And so now he has this pure bride. Verse 9, and he saith unto me, right, blessed are they which are called into the marriage supper of the land. And he saith unto me, these are the true sayings of God. It will happen. One day you will be in front of him, one day it will be consummated, we'll come together. And then that's when the next part of this chapter is when he comes down and he takes the earth back. He judges them at Armageddon, he judges the world, he has that, and then it goes you know, on into that. And so it, that's, we've talked about that other times. And so you know, here he is presented as a spotless bride. So we're to be that way. We should not compromise. We should not be wooed by the world. But it's hard. The longer he's away, and the more they are slick, and the more they try to win us, uh, the more we need to keep our resolve, as she does. And so we need to remind ourselves, and so she has things that she can show us. Uh, let's go back to Solomon, uh, chapter 4. Um, so she's thinking, what would my shepherd say? You know, Solomon's throwing all these lines at me. Solomon's got all this money. Solomon's showing me all of his power, all of his fame. You know, that, that, that lures a lot away, pain, fame and, and power and money. And she's like, what would, my, what would my shepherd say? How would he give me that resolve? What promises do we have? And so here's what he says in verse 8. Come with me from Lebanon, my spouse. So she's thinking ahead, you know, when to when they're married. Come with me from Lebanon to look from the top of Amana, from the top of Shinar and Hermon, from the lion's dens and from the mountains of the leopards. He says, this is what will happen when we're spouses, when, when we're married. On our honeymoon plans, this is what we'll do. We'll we'll go to the Cedars of Lebanon. That was supposed to be a famous thing at the time. These mighty trees would be us going out to the Redwood Forest to see these giant trees that they made all these things from. He goes, I know you like the woods. We'll go to the Cedars of Lebanon. We'll go up to Mount Hermon. He goes, I know you love big cats. We'll look at the lions up there. We'll we'll see the uh, leopards. You know, and so that's this. Most girls like cats right there. So she's no different than a lot of you girls. He goes, we'll go up there and we'll look at the mountains. We'll see the leopards' dens and we'll look at that. It'll be a wild adventure honeymoon in that sense. And so it's a uh, it sounds like it's right up her alley. Verse nine: Thou hast ravished me, my heart, my sister, my spouse. Thou hast ravished my heart with one of thine eyes and with one chain of thy neck. See, her shepherd loves her for her, not just how she looks, but who she is, and he loves her in the right order, in the way that Christ says that we are to love one another. Notice he puts it there: my sister, my spouse. Um, He's not from Kentucky. He is saying, that "We are brother. We are, we are brother and sister in Christ." You know, that you have that right. You, you have salvation. You are the one that I can marry because you are saved. We are not to be unequally yoked. The Bible tells us that. It's very adamant from that. He says, you want to save yourself from grief? You do not be unequally yoked. Be on the same side. Be in the same category in this so that you'll raise your children with the same passion, with the with the same belief system, that you won't have the, the struggles of what that is. Where you have one of, the, um, one of the couple who doesn't want to go to church and makes it seem like it's fun to stay home or another one's trying to go. You don't have that. Be in agreement. Be there together. Or take your kids so he says if you know do not be unequally yoked don't shop in that aisle <laughs> that way you won't buy anything there you know so that should be a standard for young ladies and young men to start out with i will not date or marry anybody who's not a christian because god's order is never out of order he says you have salvation first be sister brothers and sisters in christ then that can lead to whether you marry them or not then it goes down that way and so god's order never out of order and so he always says salvation first don't be unequally yoked, then you can pursue that. And so it'll save you a hard life. It'll save you a life of grief. It will save you a ton of fighting. If you would just come together on that one accord. If you would just obey God there in the simplest of things, He has your best intention. He's not the cosmic kill joy. He has your best intention. Um, don't wed them to win them. That is not a good evangelism method. You know, he says don't do it. You know, that, that don't do it. And so be saved first, then marriage. You know, so Brother and sister in Christ first, then friends, then marriage, then spouse, and so he gets that right. And notice what he says. This is with one of your eyes. If you just looked at me with one eye, maybe it's that first time that he actually caught her eye. he caught her looking at him. Maybe she's always played hard to get, and now he catches her looking at him. He's like, "Oh, she looked at me. That's all I needed. Just one look, just one glance. Just, just you ravish my heart with just one of thine eyes. You know, I didn't need to be held and see you all decked out in joy, Just one of your eyes." He says, you know what looks good on you? One chain. You don't need to have the whole David armory hanging around your neck. One thin gold chain around your skin. If you want to wear something feminine and good, he goes, that's good. I'd like you as you with just a light compliment, not with all this gaudy stuff that's piled upon you. He says, I'd like you with just that one thin chain. See, he's totally different when he's talking than when Solomon's talking. Um, and so he, he's complimenting on her how, how she's nice. So, so one chain versus the whole army. Uh, he likes uh, the subtlety. And not gaudiness. Verse 10. How fair is thy love, my sister, my spouse. How much better is thy love than wine, and the smell of thine ointments than all spices? He says, I, I like you. I like the way you smell. I like how you are when you've been out in the vineyard all day, not with all these perfumes, not with all these spices. He goes, I like your ointments, I like this the way you smell that. Well, he doesn't care for all the spikenard that they put on her in chapter 1, verse 12. He says, I love you for you, and I love the way you smell. And so he compliments her for that. Verse 11. Thy lips, O my spouse, drop as honeycomb. Honey and milk are under thy tongue, and the smell of thy garments is like the smell of Lebanon. He pays her a, uh, he says, you smell like the outdoors. You, know, you smell like the trees. You smell like the forest. You smell like the cedars of Lebanon. He says, I like that. he says, and your kisses are sweet. He says, I like that. You know, and so he's complimenting her, and he's being pretty intimate. Verse 12, he pays her a very high compliment. He tells her what he knows about her that is different than the other girls, than any other girls in that harem. Verse 12, a garden enclosed is my sister, my spouse. A spring shut up, a fountain sealed. He says that she's a garden enclosed. She's a private garden. She's not a public park for everybody to enjoy. She's mine. No, she's different. She set herself apart to be only mine. She's an enclosed garden from him. She's a secret garden just for him. Not for everybody, just for him. And He knows that she will keep herself for them. He says, you're an enclosed garden. My, a garden enclosed is my sister. I know she keeps herself. She's holding herself for me. My spouse is a spring shut up, a fountain sealed. She's not a public watering hole. And she is a fountain, um, a virgin spring to be opened at marriage that would be sweet unto him. Uh, again, not a public watering spot. He knows that she will wait. He knows that she has reserved herself for him and that she will not compromise. And he reminds her of that. I know you'll wait for me. That's what we're to do. Let's look at First Thessalonians. First Thessalonians chapter 1. And this, uh, this verse talks about salvation, and it's a, it's a very good picture. So First Thessalonians 1, verse 9, he says, For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, how you turned to God from idols. That's a good picture of repentance there, that you were going this way, you turned to God from idols, you turned your back on that, to serve the living and true God, and to what? And to wait, to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. Does he come back yet? No we still wait? Yes, we wait. Is He going to come for us? Yes, we will. He reminds us in the communion ceremony that He's going to come back for us. He reminds us then again, I'm coming, my rewards are with me. Wait for me. We're to sit and wait. We're to remain faithful and wait. We're to wait for Him. We're to wait, even if it takes our whole life and He doesn't come, we're to wait. We're to be honest. We're to be fair. We're to be true. We're to wait for Him. We're to be patient. Marriage, you know, young ladies and young men, you're to wait until that time. We're to wait for Him. And so it's it's all... I guess even in the worldly things that we're to have, even in the fleshly things... The things that we teach, and if we wait in that, it shows that we have the stuff to wait for him. You know, so we're to be faithful in it all. It's all a picture. It's all of a type. And so we should wait for him. We're to be looking for him. We're to be yearning for him. We're to be waiting for him to draw near, to, you know, waiting for that time to get together. As Elaine and I dated five years, and we talked often about what will it be like, what kind of house we'll have, what will be, what will our kids be like, and, uh, and all these different things. What will it be like when well, we've been married 28 years? And, and we we'd, we'd think about how, how it's going to be like to grow old together. Then it came about. We waited and, and it happened. And so the same thing now. We're to talk about what it'll be like and what it was going to be like and to encourage one another to wait and to discuss it together and get together and say, What it'll be and whoa, what a day it will be when the roll is called up yonder and we'll all be there. And when we sing about it and, and speculate and it's to keep us waiting, to keep us faithful, to keep us true unto him, and to stand by the stuff. Uh, look at Matthew twenty four. Matthew 24 is right after Christ talks about, you know, the end times and when he's going to come and how that day will be. And he gives a few little parables. I'm going to jump towards the end of one here. Matthew 24, verse 44. talks about us being ready. It says, uh, Matthew 24, 44. Therefore, be you also ready for in such an hour as you think not the Son of Man cometh. And he's comparing it to when the uh, guy broke into the good man's house. You know, you need to be prepared. We need to be on guard all the time. So he says, we need to be ready when the Son of Man cometh. verse 45. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his Lord hath made ruler over his household to give him meat in due season? He says, who am I going to reward with that job? He says, verse 46, blessed is that servant whom his Lord when he cometh shall find so doing. The one who's busy, the one who's active, not the one who's like, oh, the Lord's here. I need to get ready. No, the one who is ready and waiting and actively waiting for him and busy about the master's business. Verse 47, Verily I say unto you that he shall make him rule over all his goods. But if that evil servant shall say in his heart, my Lord delayeth his coming and shall begin to smite his fellow servants and to eat and drink with the drunkard, the Lord of that servant shall come in a day When he looketh not for him in an hour, when he's not aware of, shall cut him asunder and appoint his portion with the hypocrites, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Like, why wasn't I ready? Why did I do that? Why did I act like he wasn't going to come? We need to be faithful. I don't think he's talking about losing salvation. I don't think he's talking about sending to hell. I think it's going to be like, oh no, I can't believe I cast it all off for these temporal things. uh, That I wasn't prepared and waiting for him. So we need to make sure that we are waiting and ready for him. And we'll go back to Solomon. Uh, She is ready. And waiting, and her shepherd is reminding her, that, I know that you're a garden enclosed. I know that you will wait for me. Um, but Solomon's tempting her. So she's remembering her promises. She's remembering the promises that they made to each other. And it helps her in the time of battle. We should be there too. You know? We should have promises and re- remember what he says he will do, that he will come, that he'll be faithful, that he'll reward us. And, and rehearse those when temptation comes so that we'll stand strong in song of solomon 2 verse 16 she says my beloved is mine and i am his he feeds among the lilies she remembers that vow i am his and he is mine and so no i'm not to give myself to anyone else i am his and he is mine i will stand and so the shepherd continues talking here in chapter 4 verse 13 thy plants are an orchard of pomegranates with pleasant fruits camphor with spikenard spikenard and saffron, calamus and cinnamon, with all trees of frankincense, myrrh and aloes, and with all the chief spices, a fountain of gardens, a well of living waters, and streams of Lebanon. He says, he goes, I know all that you have to offer me, and that is sufficient for me. I just need you, O Shulamite, and no one else. I just need one wife, and I know that you have enough to sustain me. And he lists all these plants as if it's all her good things. Uh, verse 15, a, lo- a well of living water that she will be my life. You know, without water, you don't have life. And he says, you will be my life. You'll be my sustenance. Solomon sees only the outside. The shepherd sees her. The outside is superficial, but it's on the inside that counts. And so he's looking at, at, at that and reminding her of that. Verse 16, I think it's the Shulamite speaking. She's saying, "Oh, come quickly!" As she dreams about this day, Uh, verse sixteen: "Awake, O North Wind, and come, thou South, blow upon my garden that the spices thereof may flow out. Let my beloved come into his garden and eat of his pleasant fruits." She's basically saying, "Come quickly, take me away! I want to be married. I'm tired of waiting. Come quickly, come quickly, Maranatha, as we said last week. Come quickly, Lord Jesus." And so she's waiting for him to come and take her away. And remember, chapter breaks, um, men put in here. And so I think she's still dreaming about what it's like. She's saying, "Boy, come and take me away! I cannot wait." until he comes into my garden. We are together. I'm able to give him myself and he gives him himself and he says, I can't wait until that time. So she thinks about, um, she's dreaming about here in chapter 5 about their wedding night, about what that will be like. And so chapter 5, verse 1, she is seen, again, dreaming about the wedding night. I want to notice here that this is the one time where God speaks. And again, uh, the world likes to think that uh, God is the cosmic killjoy; that He kills anything that's fun. That if you do anything fun, he, he says it's wrong. You know, He, he has to be uh, sin for it to be fun. And yet, God is the inventor of all of this. God is uh, the inventor of sex, and He tells them here to drink abundantly. And so, uh, they are God's friends. And matter of fact, we'll also see that He calls them His beloved. That you are My beloved. And so, here we are, um, chapter five, verse one. I am coming to my garden. So this is a shepherd speaking, and you notice uh, how possessive, you know, that she is mine. I am coming to my garden, my sister, my spouse, again, the right order. I have gathered my myrrh with my spice, and I have eaten my honeycomb with my honey. I have drunk my wine with my milk. And then uh, here's God speaking here. Eat, O friends. Drink, yea, drink abundantly, O beloved. I think that's God speaking to them. Tell them on their wedding night, enjoy one another. It's God's gift to them. God gives the woman to the man, and God gives the man to the woman. And he says, enjoy. Enjoy one another. Uh, it's just like as we said. It's God's timing and in God's order. Things are right and things are perfect. It's the fire in the fireplace. The fire in the fireplace is a good thing. It warms your home. It is pleasant to look at it. It's, uh, it's, it's, just, you know, it's, just, it's just right. You know, it's a useful tool. You put it in the middle of the living room, all of a sudden you have disaster. You've got it out of where it's supposed to be. God's order is that sex should be in marriage, and that is it. And it does not happen until the honeymoon. And here God says, when you do it that way, enjoy. It's, the, it's His wedding gift at the day of the wedding. Enjoy one another. Uh, take part, O oh, beloved. And He tells them to eat and drink. They eat and drink abundantly. You know? uh, and so uh, God tells them, enjoy one another. And so it becomes a right blessing. And it's not a sin. If you do it before then, it's a shame. you do it in the right order, it's a blessing. It's something that you don't have to be ashamed over. It's something that you should enjoy in that way. And so, um, again, it just shows how God is versus how the world wants to paint him. It's just that they want to take things outside of his parameters and change all that. And God says, no, my way is the right way. You do it my my way. I will bless you, and I will encourage you in that. And so, uh, I like that. Verse 2. I think it's the Shulamite speaking. She says, I sleep... But my heart waketh. It is the voice of my beloved that knocketh, saying, Open to me, my sister, my love, my dove, my undefiled. For my head is filled with dew, and my locks with the drops of the night. And so I think as time's gone on, you know, she's drained about. She, she's she stayed off Solomon. Uh, she's gone to her bed. Mine has a paragraph marker there. Maybe yours does. And, um, and so she's in her bedchambers, and she says, I'm sleeping. And she's been dreaming about their honeymoon, how that was going to be, and what it would be like on their wedding night. And um, he's come for her, and it's really him, because look what he calls. Her. We know it's him because he calls her my sister, my love, my dove. We've talked, you know, he's used those terms before. My undefiled. He knows that she stood. You stood your ground. You stood for me. I know you were standing your ground for me. He knows what you've done. He knows how faithful she's been. He calls her all the right names. So I think this is the shepherd. And he says that um, my hair is filled with dew. My locks with drops of the night. It's like he's been waiting outside, waiting until that perfect time. The morning dew's upon him. His hair is wet. And he is saying, come, now's the time. I'm I'm coming to get you. Verse 3. She says, I have put off my coat. How shall I put it on? I have washed my feet. How shall I defile them? She's playing coy here. She's like, I'm in bed and I'm not decent. I don't have my coat. You know, I can't come to the door. And I just washed my feet and my shoes are way over there. I can't defile them. You know, I don't want to do that. And then verse four, my beloved put his hand in the hole at the door of the door and my bowels moved for him. It's like, it's really him. It's not a dream. She sees him, put his hand in the door. She saw him for just that glimpse. And all of a sudden, you know, the the, the seriousness of it's not her having a dream. It's not her having a dream within a dream, as we talked before. You know, it's really him. And so she jumps up out of bed. She's seen him. Verse 5, I rose up to open to my beloved, and my hands dropped with myrrh, and my fingers with sweet-smelling myrrh upon the handles of the lock. And so, uh, I'm going to read here for a little bit, verse 6. I opened to my beloved, but my beloved had withdrawn himself and was gone. My soul uh, failed when he spake. I sought him, but I, could not find, I, but I could not find him. I called him, but he gave me no answer. And so she went out looking for him. I'm going to wait here just for a second. But, you know, so she goes out looking for him. So she missed him. She hesitated and she missed him. Uh, she looked in the mirror once too often. You know, she said, I'm not ready and I don't have my outer coat and I, and I don't have my little house shoes anymore. Uh, Solomon rubbed off on her a little bit. Before, when she first came, she was wild. Remember, she said, I don't have any time to take care of myself. I'm uncomely. You know, I, I, I took care of my, my stepbrothers and sisters. I had any time for myself. She didn't have any shoes. She's barefooted. Now, all of a sudden, you know, she didn't care. Now, her shepherd loved her just as he was, and, and now she's changed. She's like, wait a minute. I've got to get ready. You know, I want to look better for him. I've got to stop by the mirror and make sure I get like. But that was not for him. It was for her. So she delayed, and she missed him. He had that one split-second opportunity. He was there and he was gone and she delayed. And so she's missed him. And so we need to be ready whenever. We need to be ready whenever. We should be ready return when Christ calls us. Um, we got time. Look, look at Matthew 25. Quick. Yep. Matthew 25. Matthew 25.1 25 says, Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened to ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were wise and five were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil on their vessels with their lamps. And while the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, get you out to meet him. And so they'd have a guy come through town. He would yell out, and it would be, uh, that's how weddings were, it would be unannounced. And they would all know the season was ready, but they didn't know exactly when, and that was part of his surprise he would come, and he would surprise them, and they would all fall into this like little parade line as he would go around, and then they would march into the to the wedding. And so he, he calls them to come out. Verse seven. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps have gone out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest we be not enough for us and you, but go you rather to them that sell than buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. And they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. Afterward came also other virgins, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, "Verily I say unto you, I know you not. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour when the Son of Man cometh. We need to be ready. The oil is the Spirit. We need to be not waiting until it's the last minute. A lot of people will be like, well, when I start seeing tribulation type things happening, then I'll get right. Or if I see this then no, don't delay. You need to be right now. (laughs) Yeah. We need to be ready, and we have a Patch the Pirate tape that uh, my kids listen to tons of times. It was Camp Kukawaka Woods, and it was um, kind of uh, based on... uh judgment day and they were at this camp and they kept being told at camp they had certain tasks they had to do there were certain plants they were supposed to study there was some certain projects they were supposed to work on around the camp and get ready and they told they were told that they'd be judged on it some kids were diligently working at it and they were studying what poison sumac was and what wasn't others kept thinking that's ah, just a scare tactic they use to keep us in line they're not really going to do that but then one day you know camp the chief engine, I can't remember his name was, that. the big big white cloud or whatever his name was, comes down and he puts them before them and wants to see what they've done. Have they got their projects ready? Could, do they know and identify the plants? Some were ready and they got rewards and they left with bow and arrows and some kids went out crying like, I just thought it was a ploy. And so it's you know, aimed towards little kids. If you don't have that one, I'd say buy that one. I think we've got probably a copy of it around here that you can get. But we're to be ready. You know, Some put it off and we're away weeping. So we don't want to do, be that way. We need to be ready now. We need to be preparing now. Uh, we need to be ready to witness, you know, and so when the door af- is open, when they ask, that we're ready to step right in. If you look and think it over, and you're like, I want to pray four times about speaking to them, I'm going to look for that one Bible track I think will be perfect, and maybe if I had this four more verses behind that, you know, and you finally get the courage to go talk to them, you know, then the door's closed. You know, be, we need to be ready, and just ready to engage, and let the Spirit give us the answer, and just be as prepared as we possibly can. Um, that would be like her looking in the mirror that's for us you know, we need to trust him and stand up we are soldiers we're called to war we're going to be fighting it's an emergency you know, but if our life and our sins and our neglect of spiritual things have left us not fit for battle and it comes we're not ready, and we miss out, and we're not prepared, and so it goes somewhere else, or things get dropped. But Christians need to be ready, we need to be ready for the master to use at any moment, at any time, for any circumstance. We need to be prepared and ready for him, and so that's a lesson we can learn from him here. look at uh I'm back at chapter five of Solomon. So we need to be prepared. he leaves at verse five he he leaves a scent on the door there where he put uh, his scent that she's talked about before, the myrrh and the, and things, and so he smears it on there, so that she knows that it was him, and that snaps her awake. You know, as a as she sees it and realizes it, and she, she was dreaming, but now she understands. And I think here I could compare her. I, I know that she's the church, and I would and I think that that's pretty consistent. That that's a, something that we can look at. But I would compare this instance to uh, Israel, where he came and they missed him. They weren't ready. They weren't prepared. They thought he was going to be something else. It might be some other time, some other way, and so they missed him. And so they weren't ready. And so now I have to wait for him to come again. And it's a lot longer road to hoe, I guess, so that way. They have to go through a lot more before they finally realize it. So I think you can kind of see how that would apply here. We'll look at um, verse 7. It says, The watchman that went about the city found me, because she goes out running for him, but he'd already cut out of there. It says, They smoked me. They wounded me. The keepers of the wall took away my veil from me. They think she's crazy. Uh, maybe she's trying to escape or something. Uh, You know, and the world abuses Israel too, but uh, here here they've treated her rougher than they did the first time. Verse 8, I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, this is the third time, if you find my beloved, that you tell him I am sick of love. Uh, It ends this way often, these encounters. Yep, she says, "I'm, I'm lovesick. It'd be easier if I didn't love him. This would be so much easier, but I'm lovesick. But it makes her life miserable that she's waiting for him and he's not there. And sometimes it's that way for us. That we are called out. We're to be different. We're to be a separate people. We're to be prepared and waiting for him. And you might think, boy, it sure would be easier. It might be, but then it ends in death and hell. You know? And so it is the best way to go. And so, yes, it, it's not an easy road. It's not a pleasant, you know, a pleasant path or a pleasant walk. Sometimes it is hard. It is different. We make stands. Uh, we have standards. We stand for things. We have to take moral stands among friends, among family. And it does cost us. And it might be easier if you compromise, but is it worth it? You know, how many people take the mark in the end times because it's the easy thing, and they die and go to hell forever? You know, let's not sell ourselves short. Let's take stands and stand for Him. That's what they're calling us to do. And I think this story here is to help us do that as well. Um, so this is the third time that she's charged them about her shepherd. You know, and that I am lovesick. And she's talked about him nonstop since she's been there. She dreams about him to the point where they have to wake her up and say, Hey, what's wrong? And she's like, Oh, I was dreaming about him. Don't, I charge you, don't wake me up if I'm dreaming about him. Uh, she could care less about Solomon, and that is different in this group. You know, these are all girls clamoring to be the next bride. She runs out looking for him twice, and even the second time, even though she had clean feet, she runs through the street, and she even gets roughed up by the watchman because she's out there looking for him, you know, and not caring what the world's saying. She's yelling for him. I missed you, come on, I'm ready, I'm ready, even though she delayed. And so the harem is one concerned, and they're concerned about her, and they're kind of curious about what's going on, so I think they kind of start in here, hey, Shulamite, we want some answers. Tell us about this shepherd of yours, so verse 9. So I think it's the harem talking. What is thy beloved more than uh, than another beloved? O thou fairest among women. What is thy beloved more than any other beloved? That thou dost so charge us. What makes him so special? Who is this shepherd of yours that uh, you, know, you, you would act this way? Tell us about him. So she does. So she begins to stru- describe them, uh, him to them. Verse 10. My belo- beloved is white and ruddy, the chiefest among 10,000. So it's the Shulamite talking about him. So he's white. Uh, I think she's in a multicolor there uh, uh, group. So she's distinguishing him out in this way. You know, he's... You know, he, he's this way. He's white, white, and white here also means dazzling, glowing, and bright. She's saying that he is something. He is a gem among men. He's ruddy. That means uh, he's probably reddish. Reddish in his skin, not in his hair, because we're going to learn that in the next verse. His hair is dark. Verse 11. His head is of most fine gold. His locks are bushy and black as a raven. So he's got bushy red hair, or bushy black hair, and, he, and he's dark, complected in a little bit. Even though she calls him white, he's glowing. I think he's, she's describing him as standing out. Verse 12. His eyes are the eyes of doves. You know, and So again, she compares it. He's got dark eyes like he's compared hers. By the rivers of waters, washed with milk and fitly set. And so, you know, got these dark eyes. Verse 13. His cheeks. Um, his cheeks are as a bed of spices, as sweet flowers. His lips like lilies, dropping sweet-smelling myrrh. Uh, she said has pleasant breath, I guess. I don't know, <laughs> you know he brushed his teeth for gun, but it smells sweet to her. She likes to be close enough to, to, to smell his scents and, and how his cheeks are and how, how he's been outside, and she can smell that. Verse 14. His hands are of gold rings set with the barrel. His belly is a bright ivory overlaid with sapphire. He's got washboard abs and uh, man hands. You know like she's saying he's got fit, strong hands. You know, it's a, he's got working man hands, and she's like, "I like that." verse 15. His legs are as pillars of marble. Sit upon sockets of fine gold, his countenance is of Lebanon, excellent as the cedars. Lebanon was known for their height, and she's saying he's tar, da, tall, dark, and handsome, basically. That is how we, we get that. She's saying, I think that's where the saying comes from. He's, he's like Lebanon, he's tall, dark, and handsome, you, you would love him. Verse 16, his mouth is most sweet, yea, he is altogether lovely. He is my beloved, and this is my friend, oh, you daughters of Jerusalem. Notice she gets it right, too. He's my beloved, but he's also my friend. It's in the right order. You know, I, I love him, but he's my friend, and he's my soon-to-be spouse. And so she's you know, describing him to him. Uh, again, I think, you know, men put chapter mark in. I might have moved it a little bit different, but this is where it is. Verse uh, 1, you have the harem speaking. It says, Whether is thy beloved gone, O thou fairest among women? Whether is thy, lo- uh, thy beloved turned aside, that we may seek him with thee? They're like, well, he sounds pretty good. Uh, we will help you look for him. Um, we'll help chase him down and she's like you know tell, tell us where you might be verse 2 my beloved has gone down into his garden into the beds of spices to feed in the gardens and to gather lilies i am my beloved's and my beloved is mine he feedeth among the lilies i think she's pretty much saying uh, get this straight i am his and he is mine back off you know and so if you go looking for him remember he's already spoken for he is mine you find your own guy um, and so i think she's kind of making that clear here you know um We should be this way too, that we should so seek the Savior and so live for him that people would say, who is this Savior that you say you live for? Who is this one who said that you, that takes up so much of your time that you'll go to his house on Sunday morning and Sunday night, that on Wednesday night you'll get together, that you'll carry a book around that, that talks about him and you'll read it often, that you'll have music that talks about him that's on your iPod and on your car and where it is, that you'll have a Instagram posts and things on Facebook that talk about him and talk about his word that encourage you in these things. Who is this guy that you're always talking about? We should live a life in a sense that way. I think it's... Um, it should be something that when it comes time to come they'll say I know somebody who knows him I'll go talk to them and that's how we should be uh, just like she were that they finally get to the point where who is this uh, often that's negative but we're supposed to be talking about him I want to take you to Second Peter again and look at a couple of things that point out remember how she's called him her beloved and how God called them his beloved and then we'll look at something here in Second Peter chapter 3 again Second Peter chapter three verse three. You know, if the world's wanting to know where he is, Second Peter three, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lust, and saying, "Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Where is this Jesus that you're always talking about? Why hasn't he come? If those prophecies are all in there, where is he? Why isn't he here? Show us to him." Well, it's kind of like the, sh- uh, the, the Shulamite with her shepherd. She's always talking about him. Where is he going to come? And so the world treats us that way. Where is he? Where's his promise? Why hasn't he come? Does he keep his word? Verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Uh, but at the day of the Lord, it will come as a thief in the night. He's going to come in when we don't expect it. He already came for her, and she missed it will come as a thief of night in which the heavens shall pass away with great noise and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all our holy conversation and godliness? We should be out out spot and blameless. Verse 12, looking for the hastening and coming day of of God wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved with the elements and shall melt with fervent heat. We should live for him and not for this world. Um, Verse 13, nevertheless... We, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, that's what he's talking to us, his beloved, just like they were beloved one to another, as God called them his beloved, we are his beloved. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you may be found in him in peace, without spot and blameless. Again, charging us uh, to live without spot and be blameless. Verse 17, ye, uh, ye therefore, beloved, uh, seeing you know these things before Beware, lest you also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. He's saying, be steadfast. Be unmovable. Stand for him. Do not falter. Be like the Shulamite who stands against Solomon. You stand and stand for him. Do not compromise. You are my beloved, and I, am, and I am coming back for you. Verse 18. But grow in grace and in knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. So we are his beloved. We should stand for him and stand true for him. Um, I, I think that's encouraging for us i got four minutes I probably ought not start in the next chapter yet but, uh, so I think we'll, we'll pause there um, I guess we're in the next chapter but the next part it breaks again and I think it's Solomon talking we have her making her big final stand and we might be able to get through it all next week if we hold it for there but it gives us good confidence to know that we are his we should rehearse the promises of God that's a good thing whenever you're tempted uh, we should also weigh out the pleasure of sin for a season versus eternity. You know, uh, What's this going to cost? How's it going to cost in the span of things? You know, I need to stand true. Remember our promises that we make to each other. Remember your spouses. Encourage them. You know, lift them up. Tell them that you appreciate them, that you appreciate their beauty so they don't go looking otherwise. And so there's a lot of good things in here to encourage us to stand fast and to stand true and to stand honest. And so uh, I think it should be one that we go through often uh, and read in that sense. And so I appreciate you bearing with me as we do so tonight.